Welcome to another podcast from Best Self Magazine, the leading voice for self-empowerment, holistic health, and authentic living. Hi, Aviva. Hi, Kristen. I am so excited to have the opportunity to sit down and interview you again, mm. so in such a short time span, but to be in person today, and I want to just... Thank you for welcoming Best Self into your lovely home. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to have you guys here today. To finally be here doing this. We've been wanting to do this for a long time. Yes. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. And I thought that I would start with a quote of yours, because I think it would set the tone of our conversation. So I'm always like, uh-oh, what did I say? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what did I say? Don't worry. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I made a really powerful decision for myself, and it was to trust my own self as my highest authority. Mm. And I want to tell you that I love that quote for a gazillion reasons, but it also makes me laugh because I think for some reason, the more I've gotten to know about you and the more research I've done, I have this sense that you've been doing that for pretty much your whole <laughs> life. Although I have already provided you with an official title of hippie at heart powerhouse, Aww, love it. I think I owe our audience um, an official introduction to you, so just bear with me for a second while I just gush. Aviva Ram is a midwife, herbalist, ecologist, mother, writer, and Yale-trained MD. She is the author of seven books, her latest, this amazing, incredible book, <laughs> The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, which was the number one best-selling thyroid and immune health book. She is a lifetime seeker with a rich 30-year journey along the path of integrative women's health with a mission to empower others with tools to shift their health and reclaim their lives and to bridge the conversation between conventional and natural medicine. She also created the first integrative medicine program at Yale University. Such a slacker. <laughs> I sit around all the time. And let's just also, before I have to just also say that I mean, you were really in the trailblazing trenches because when I think back to this th rich 30-year journey mm -hmm. that you've been on, you embarked on this path when we weren't technically calling food organic. And as you said, there were four herb books on the market. Yes, there were. You know, this was not an accepted conversation. No, my family for sure thought I had gone over the deep end, actually asked me if I had joined a cult because I was vegetarian. And yeah, so no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the flavor du jour yeah. at that time. You just embody this lifetime of inspiration. Thank you. And the way I want to sort of delve into this today is I thought you really embodied three self-empowerment tenets. I think it'd be a great way to, to sort of like okay. dive into a little of Aviva. <laughs> and the first one I would say is that you really personify this notion that anything is possible. Mm. And I want to take it way back before any of this nutrition and med school and everything else, because I want to go back to 14 years old, mm -hmm. growing up in a housing project, mm -hmm. being raised by a single mom, mm -hmm. and you sat down and decided that you were going to write John Hopkins Medical School a letter and ask them to be admitted because basically you had been in high school, you kind of said you were bored, you yeah. kind of learned what you had learned. And this is a great place to start with anything is possible. Clearly you were not born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And where does this chutzpah come from? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think one, my mom is a courageous woman in her own way and she kind of embodied a uh, fearlessness for me as a role model in so many ways. And my mom was really interested in politics. So she was involved in local politics when I was young, even though I was growing up in housing projects. Some of our representatives were people like Nettie Mayerson, who was a woman senator or representative at the time, one or the other. Bella Abzug. I mean, I went and heard Bella Abzug speak when Amazing. I was a kid. You can't not be inspired. This woman was just a Powerhouse. She was a rock. Right. Yeah. So I think some of the early um, almost tacit messaging for me and at that time, right, I mean, this was like 1966 to 1974 when I was like really little and you had Helen Reddy, Woman Hear Me Roar. I mean, this was the background of my childhood. So in some ways, I think the tacit messaging at that time was that I didn't really have to hold back and be afraid. And then 
If you add that to this mixture of being a young girl in a housing project, by the time I was hitting 12 and 13, I was kind of pre-pubertal, pubertal. Things were getting a little tough with my mom living in a really tiny home apartment. Um, the neighborhood was getting rougher at that time. And then by the time I hit my first year of high school, I was doing an almost two hour commute to and from high school. And you just kind of add a lot. I gained 30 pounds that year. It was a really stressful year. I wasn't sleeping. I got sick a lot. And I just felt like something inside me was going to break. And, you know, everyone has a different resilience or maybe um, their own, what their spirit is. I don't know what guided me to just have a, a, a woke moment and say, I've got to get out of here. This is not good with me and my mom. One of us is going to kill each other metaphorically or physically. I was getting increasingly uncomfortable in my neighborhood. The commute thing and the pressure at that high school were not sustainable. And I really wanted to be a medical doctor. And I, I just woke up one day. I, I don't even know what inspired me at this point to write to Johns Hopkins, but whoever that person was that wrote a letter back to me. This was, there was no common application. You weren't on your computer. You were literally no, filling out an I application. I literally You're wrote writing... them a letter yeah. and just said, I'm ready for a change. I'd like to start medical school. <laughs> and someone wrote back and said, well, you're a little young. This was before even the seven-year fast-track programs. And I wasn't even asking to start skip college. I was right. asking to skip high school and right. college. Yeah, they've, somebody's got that letter hanging Somebody up in their does. office. I mean, it's wonderful. Was, if there are angels, that person was one of mine. And whoever that person was wrote back and she said, well, there's a school in Western Massachusetts, actually the town over from where we're sitting and having this conversation that has a program for young, gifted or talented people who would like to skip high school and do something different. And I applied, got an interview, told my mom that I had applied and gotten an interview. And she said, go for it. And I did. And I got accepted and got a scholarship. And it started sort of the next phase of my life. I think there was a certain amount of survival mode that kicked in for me and that kicks in in different ways for different people. And I think the combination of seeing empowered women in my life and not really having um, kind of a social environment immediately where people necessarily turn to drugs or alcohol right. or different ways of solving problems. It was for me, it was just you know, my mom used to say, if you don't know how to spell a word, go look it up in the dictionary. That was kind of how I was raised. So I didn't know how to solve my problem. And I... But like you just said, though, it could could have gone It could have gone a way, very right? different way. <clears throat> so that's why I say this is the, yeah. the first tenet here is yep. that anything is possible. It is. And then number two, you represent this sort of freshness and fluidity in life mm -hmm. because... You've had this beautiful ability to keep an, keeping an open mind to course correction. Mm -hmm. and, and when I use the term course correction, I'm not using it in the sense of making an error or a mistake, but rather saying, oh, I went this way, but now I'm feeling that I should go this way and that it's okay. And that, you know, whatever, wherever the path leads us, follow that, right? So you went to Simon's Rock, then you went to college. You, so you went to college early and you went on scholarship. And then suddenly, course correction, mm -hmm. something else was stirring in you. Yeah. And you said, wait a minute, I want to leave this. And I now want to study midwifery and natural remedies. And you left school. Yeah. And you embarked upon a new path. Um, and in the process, as you said, you became skilled in nutrition natural foods cooking, and back to land skills. Yes, I can actually, well, I haven't done it in years, but I actually have made fires by friction many times. <laughs> I know how to find the materials, and so I have a weird subset of skills. So I want to just talk about, like, the course that, well, that, that beautiful ability mm -hmm. to listen to yourself, because obviously you were listening to yourself yeah. your whole life, but to hold on to that, mm -hmm. that's something really special because we can get jaded and sort of either go to college or get, ex, you know, uh, locked into a job. Yes. So what is it that you held on to that said like, wait a minute, I, okay, now I'm feeling this direction. You know, I think, um, for me, it's really been a matter of how do I want to serve and what do I want to give and what skill sets do I need to do that the most effectively? So, when I went to college early, it was to be a physician. And then very early in that time, I saw that there was this whole set of problems in our world that I didn't know existed previously. Problems with ecology, 
agriculture, medicine, people having access to care, the way women were being treated in medicine. And I just saw that there was this huge need and what I was studying at the time and the, the routes that conventional medicine offered to address those needs weren't for me. So I, I really just sought out the path that would help me have the skill set and the knowledge I needed to address those needs. And that's really been where the course correction was. So, you know, 20 plus years as an herbalist and a midwife, and I saw, well, there's lots of great herbalists and midwives now because there are more books, there's more information, there's the internet. But when women like you or I needed to go into the medical model to get help, we were still facing that same kind of stonewalled, roadblocked, conventional, patriarchal, interventive model. And so then the need was, okay, this need is met. How do I meet this next level of need? And the answer to that was, I have to go in the system to be recognizable by the system and recognizable by what the general public considers credible and uh, informed. And that was medical school. I think you're glossing over this gift you have, this like sort of like this, something spiritual, something within Mm -hmm. you that is allowing you to to align with your intuition, to listen to yourself, yeah. to hear yourself and to pursue it. You know, what would you say to yeah. people that take a job or they start studying something and, mm-hmm. and then it does, it, it doesn't mean it's wrong or it was a failure, but maybe there's another path. What do you Yeah, think? it's a really good question. So I think that one thing is that we are taught from an early age to look outside of ourselves for information, for expertise, for answers. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes you may have a a set of skills or experience or knowledge that I need and vice versa. But when it comes to our own inner life guidance, I think that we think that there are answers outside, but I, I feel like if we actually get still enough for long enough, it doesn't even take that long. We know, we kind of know what our own inner alignment is. I'm not sure what for me, kept me on that path. You know, it's funny. I can remember when I was a really little girl, I mean like five, six years old and the phone would, or even before the phone would ring, I'd say to my mom, I think grandpa's going to call in a second. And then the phone would ring and my mom would say, oh, you have ESP. Cause that's what everybody right, called it. Right, right, right. And I think from a very early age, for whatever reason, that alignment of my family's beliefs, it didn't kill that sense of trusting that instinct, right? Even if that instinct was some ESP. So there's something about that listening to my inner voice that got kept alive. And I think maybe also just the fact that I got off of the mainstream path so early. I don't think you were ever on the mainstream path. I mean, I kind of was. I was that sort of spelling bee, science right. fair kid, you know, the, the good student. Uh, I wasn't necessarily the good girl. I, you know, I remember getting sent to, um, the principal's office in ninth grade for not standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance was I know it sounds so horribly unpatriotic and it wasn't about taking a knee or being unpatriotic it was being told that I had to rather than being asked if I want to it was this, this still school policy so I wasn't necessarily that good girl follower but I wasn't like a bad girl either right. but I did really stay tuned into that instinct of following what it was that inspired me and I think also, like I said, getting off that the mainstream trajectory at such a young age and wanting to do something that there was no availability for in the conventional path. I couldn't right. find it anywhere. My husband went to a graduate school, which they had the motto, find a way or make one. And to some extent, back then, that you had to you had to make your own way. There weren't books, there weren't guideposts, there really weren't schools. There wasn't Google. No, there wasn't Google. I mean, the first acupuncture schools were opening at that time. The first naturopathic school was just opening at that time. So there really weren't avenues. The only avenue there was was to sort of trust that inner guidance and figure out what I loved and what interests me and what got me closer to a goal of knowing what I felt like I needed to know. It's just, and I keep pushing you on it because yeah. it's just something that so many people have to find their way back mm-hmm. to. And it's such a blessing that you were just tuned in. There wasn't also as much noise back then, right? right. There's a lot of noise now. What diet do we eat? You can pick, I could sit here and rattle off eight different diets that people are confused about because they're in the mainstream media all the time. You could be autoimmune paleo. You can be doing intermittent fasting. Should you do ketogenic? Should you be a vegan? There's so much noise. And I think to some extent too, there wasn't as much noise back then. And because I was so radically outside of the system, I wasn't watching television. I wasn't looking at mainstream magazines. I was really reclaiming some more, maybe romanticized, but also fairly grounded 
relationship between myself, the land, nature. So I was so outside of some of the noise that I think many women and many people get exposed to. I wasn't reading fashion magazines and thinking I should be a certain, you know, body type. I wasn't wearing cosmetics. I wasn't following whatever the current trends were. In fact, sometimes people will ask me, oh, did you ever see that television show from back in the 80s? Right. Didn't have a TV. So I think the, the less noise we have in our lives, the more easy it is to actually stay tuned into that inner guidance. I didn't have a guru telling me what to do. I didn't have teachers. Yeah. You really pushed on that in a way. And I think maybe that's really deeply what it was. Well, I think it's because when, you know, it's just something you've, that you've been navigating life Mm -hmm. with, it becomes your norm. Mm -hmm. So for you, it's just something that's been there and may not have even realized. It's true. Sometimes it's like there's that term heuristics of of sort of knowing what we know. And sometimes it's true. I've been doing it for so long. I don't know why I know it. So it's just something that I really wanted to point out because I think that it's, it's been that inner compass and that inner Mm -hmm. GPS that's guided you. So that leads me to number three, which you were sneaking in, um, (laughs) which is that it's never too late. Mm-mm. And I love this message because I think this applies across the board. Uh, I don't care what the age demographic is or what the circumstances, because, you know, this 14-year-old girl growing up in the housing projects who wrote to, to a medical school and ended up going to school and then leaving school and studying natural practices and midwifery, then goes on to have four children and decides at 40 years old, now I'm going back to medical school. Yeah. So it's like this beautiful uh, coming full circle and sort of homecoming. And when I was reading that, I thought, well, first of all, that took a lot of guts. Mm, thank you. It took a lot of family support. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And quite a village. Mm-hmm. Right? It did. And medical school is really interesting because you have to move where you want to go. It can take you out of your village. So we create our own village in medical school, but absolutely the family support was essential. Definitely. And that's also just breaking through all of that limited thinking of, oh, that chip is passed. Um, yes. I'm too old to go back to medical yes. school. It's going to cost so much. Right. The opportunity costs. I'm going to be away from my kids who I had been homeschooling at that time. There are so many stories. We You're like, oh God, I got to get away from my kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved being with them. They were at that right. wonderful, you know, preteen and tween age and I loved it. So I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of anxiety about doing it. There were three things that have um, been, I think, said to me in my life that really kind of made such a huge difference for me. One was when my third baby was born. And so this was, you know, med school isn't something you just pick up and you go. It's 10 years in the making and then seven to 10 years of training. So there's the prerequisites, the applications, the MCATs. It's it's a, a laborious process. And because I had left, I started college at 15, left at 16, I had all the pieces to put back in place. So I was doing that, and one of my dearest friends, who um, she's an African-American woman, and she spent time in Ghana, and I was really feeling very guilty and conflicted about whether it was okay for me as a mom to take this step for myself. And she said, Aviva, women in Africa, they carry the babies, they build the houses, they tend the gardens, they do these things. It's, you know, it's we here that think that there's a separation between motherhood and work. And she just was just like, do it, go for it. Another was uh, a midwifery client of mine. She was this very spiritual, she was a psychiatrist, incredibly spiritual woman from Puerto Rico. And I met her in my early 20s. I was already practicing as a midwife and she was one of my early clients. I was like 21. And she said, you know, here in the U.S., people say life is so short. It's always hurry, 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 or the ship has passed, or it's too late. You know, there's always this pressure. She said, where I'm from, we say life is long. Right, I and love that. And that was such a mind shift for me. And I have to remind myself that I can get impatient or feel pressure. Are we there yet? Right. And then I have to remind myself life is long. And, you know, I recently read something that said so much of depression is regretting the past and so much of anxiety is living in the worries of the future. And how do we just be present? So it was really getting present with that desire, knowing the desire was very true and pure and about making my life better. Um, It was about service. It was about also changing my children's legacy in some way. I mean, I was the first woman to finish college in my family. So I was the first professional in my family and wanting to give my kids that. But the third thing, and this was huge for me, 
I was in my mid thirties and now getting closer to my application process. It was starting to take a lot more time. There were, you know, costs building up to my undergraduate training at times where I'm thinking I've got a kid going to college in a few years. I need to be thinking about this. And one of my very dear friends, her father, he was actually a diplomat. He was a Scottish diplomat. And when I met him, he was in his, he was about 82. And he told me a story that when he was in about 60, there was something he really wanted to go back to school and study. And at 60, he talked himself out of it. He said, you know what? I mean, it's going to cost me money. It's going to take time. It's going to be stressful for my family. I have to give up my job. You know, all these things that we tell ourselves. And he said, now I'm 82 years old. I would have had 22 years of doing what I always dreamed of doing. And that was such a clincher for me. And he said, you know, in 10 years, yeah, it's going to take you 10 years to do right. this. He didn't say, yeah, he said, yes. And he was yes. wearing a kilt and very <laughs> formal. And um, he said, but yes, but in 10 years, you'll be 10 years older anyway. So do you want to be 10 years older having done this or 10 years older, maybe not having, and maybe something else wonderful will happen, but maybe you'll wish you had done it. Right. That was it. It was this 82 year old man's wisdom of so lucky that you, yes, it you was had so that fortunate. conversation. Yes. And I was also thinking as you were just speaking about that and mentioning your children, I was thinking just the example that you're setting for mm. them. I mean, because obviously this was a family decision. Yes. This, you and your husband sat down and decided, you know what, we're going to go for it. We're yes. going to do oh, not this. Only that, you know? Not only that, I actually had gotten into Yale, which was my first choice of medical school. We were about to sign purchase papers on a house in Connecticut. I had to uproot my four kids, my home. We had to sell a house. And I literally took the signed um, contract and I ripped it up. I was like, I can't do this to my family. I can't do it. I'm just going to tell Yale I'm not going to come. And he actually, he taped it back together and sent it. <laughs> so the deal was done. See, we bought oh, the house. Awesome. Yeah. And also I was thinking, you know, the rich conversation when I said that I, when I wanted to break it down into these three sort mm -hmm. of tenets and, and, and get through your story a little bit. Um, it's this, it is this beautiful rich, rich conversation because you have created space for all of these modalities to come into. Mm -hmm. Like if we could all have that conversation, there's room for us to learn from holistic remedies and there's room for traditional medicine, Absolutely. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think of it as a continuum or a spectrum and there's right. a different need for different ones of us with different therapies at different times. And so it's choosing from that sort of spectrum of where we are and what we need. So I have a quote I want to read of yours. It's yes. um, the story of conventional medicine that we've all been raised in with Western science is that the only information that we should trust is external, expert driven, and based on a very patriarchal, anti-earth, anti-bodied center model. For me, it was a big shift in sort of reclaiming my feminism, reclaiming my feminine, and reclaiming my connection to earth and planet and also led me to have a really uh, powerful trust in my body and to be connected to those intuitive messages. Mm. Thank you for reading back what I said. Yeah, it's, be that. it's beautiful because that's sort of like a synopsis of what I feel like this journey has been mm -hmm. for it you. It has been. And, and my hope is to help other women and men, all of us, to be able to reclaim that connection to earth to our intuition, to our ability to believe that we can trust in our bodies and in ourselves. And I think to really trust in resilience, that we can heal, we can overcome obstacles, we can transform our lives, because that's what resilience is all about. It's adapting and changing and shifting and having elasticity and healing. I feel like your, your life has been a series of bold steps. <laughs> Thank you. I and, like that. And you did touch on it a, a, a drop, but, you know, were there moments where you questioned what you were doing or was there pushback from other people? Yes. There's one of my favorite quotes is a Georgia O'Keeffe quote. And she says, um, I've been scared every minute of my life, but I've never let it stop me from doing anything. Absolutely. I've had fears. I was doing the wrong thing. I was destroying my family. I was going to ruin my kids. My kids were going to hate me. Um, the midwifery community would hate me. The herbal community would judge me, you know, for going into conventional medicine. There were so many, points along the way that I could have deterred myself from doing it, but I just kind of held fast. And there's another quote that I love that is from Rumi, the poet Rumi. And he says, what you seek is also seeking you. Mm. And trusting that that really intense inner drive was more than ego or fear or just some goal for achievement, but that there was really something 
pulling me like, you know, a, like the gravitational pull of a compass to go north that kept me in that direction and that there was something about going to medical school or taking these bold steps. And I, I think for me, I fear failures, but I don't fear them enough to not do it. And I don't, it's almost like failure is not really a word in my vocabulary. For whatever reason, my way of thinking is much more about being a learner. So I get curious about stuff. You know, it's funny, I dissect stuff a lot. Right. I look at what went wrong a lot. But for me, it's more about curiosity and making it better than, oh, that was a failure. That was, I have those moments. Well, this is what I'm thinking about when, when I'm, I'm, I'm actually envisioning this young girl who wanted to know why. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to say the Pledge of Allegiance? Mm -hmm. I, think you, I think you've also spent a lifetime asking why. I do. And I'm going to find the answers. Yes. So when you're questioning whether one community is going to be upset or, the, or, you know, or not mm -hmm. um, because you're talking to somebody else, I see you as this bridge. Yes. See, it's the bridge because I want to know why there's value here and I want to know why there's value here and I want to know how we take the value and we have a new conversation. Absolutely. And one of the things about growing up in a housing project is you grow up with a lot of diversity. You see the value in everyone and everything. So for me, I think there's an extension of that into the work that I do. It's more about learning and embracing than about judging. So there are very few things I'll say, oh, I would never do that. I mean, there are things, but, uh, or I would never practice that, or I would never embrace that. And for me, it's about what, what can we add to, what can we learn from, who can we learn from? I was so thrilled to have you a part of the Best Self World Summit. Thank you. And I had- Delight. It was a wonderful conversation. And I had so many people write in to me and they were delighted by hearing your story and, and learning a little bit more because obviously that was a, there was a golden thread of mm. story, personal story, we, weaving that together. But I had so many people say, we want to know more about her work with thyroid mm -hmm. and we want to know more about um, the adrenal glands and we want, to, we want to hear more about that. And I am not letting them down. Okay, let's <laughs> talk. I love talking so, about it. Yeah, it's well, good. And I also wanted to say that when this thyroid Bible first came out and I did a post on it, I had so much response, tremendous yeah. response, people coming out of the woodwork. And I was thinking, wow, I didn't really even know that this was so pervasive. Yes. I, I mean, I didn't set out to write a book on adrenal right. and thyroid. This wasn't, oh, let me write a book next year on adrenal and thyroid. I just saw the same thing. When I'd post about it, when I'd ask questions about it, the response was, Enormous. I did a blog on it. I think, you know, in a couple of days, something like 20,000 people would respond and ask questions of, it wasn't just the prevalence that I was seeing, but the prevalence of women who were not getting answers or were, who, who were being dismissed as this right. is just all in their head. It's just they're, they're fatigued, they're gaining weight, their hair is falling out and these big things that were affecting them and going to doctor after doctor saying, no, you're fine. It's just you're stressed or it's anxiety or depression. Let me put you on an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. So I realized I needed to connect the dots on what was going on. Here she is with her whys again. But, but wait, so let's just go back yes. to that for a second. What the hell is going on? Like literally all of a sudden it seems like there's this epidemic, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems like every woman that I have spoken to either has a thyroid problem or knows someone that does Absolutely. or has some issue with their adrenal glands. Like what's going on? Yeah. So it's, it's almost the, the hilarity is almost in the question, you know, that Marvin Gaye song, what's right. going on and what's going on. Right. And we talk about, you know, he talks about mercury in the fish and all this environmental pollution. And what's happening is we're kind of at a critical juncture or a perfect storm where all the different kinds of stressors that we're experiencing environmental social, personal, economic, and then hidden stressors, the environmental ones being big hidden stressors. We don't see the toxins in our environment, but a lot of the toxins in our environment directly bind to and affect our thyroid function in combination with the fact that something like two out of 10 Americans are actually getting the fruits and vegetables that we need. The Centers for Disease Control did a big study in 2016 and found out that in every single state in the United States, less than 14% of people are getting the fruits that we're supposed to get every day and 16% getting the vegetables. So on the one hand, we're undernourished. And on the other hand, we're overstressed. Like it's almost like our resiliency capacity is tapped to the max. We can't stretch any further and we're not putting into our bodies and our lives the things that help us repair. What are the symptoms that like all of a sudden 
people are experiencing, women are experiencing, mm-hmm. that are all of a sudden tipping that, tipping it, yeah. and getting them to the doctor, or you know, what what's going, like what's happening? What are people yeah. recognizing? So, first of all, I think that what happens is we sort of reach a critical max. Like a lot of us ignore little symptoms. We just, oh, you know, everybody has that. Oh, I'm in my 40s. It's normal to be a little forgetful. And I just had a patient whose doctor told her that. You're in your 40s. Of course, you've gained 15 pounds. Oh, these pounds. benchmarks drive me nuts. I'm like, no, that's not true. You don't have to just suddenly gain weight and become cognitively deficient in your 40s or stop sleeping or, you know, your hair falling out. That's not how it's supposed to be. And it doesn't need to be that way. So there's symptoms that we ignore. There's the dismissal that we get that keeps us ignoring symptoms. The average woman with an autoimmune disease, it takes her five years to get a diagnosis. We do tend to dismiss things as just stress, not actually stress is a big factor in our health, our hormones, thyroid is hormones. So that's all going on. And then sometimes for some people, and most thyroid problems are happening in women, there's something that tips the iceberg. So for example, um, there's an elderly family member, a parent that you suddenly have to spend six months taking care of because they're sick. You know, I can't tell you how many women contact me because their mom has breast cancer. And then six months later, you know, their mom passes, but they're in my office with a thyroid diagnosis. So there's something that shifts that, whether it's a job loss, a teenager going through trouble, a divorce, uh, any number of things, or it can be you're under a prolonged period of stress and then you get a viral infection and it's that infection or you have a surgery, something tips the balance mm. of what the body can respond to. And it looks like you suddenly got diagnosed with a thyroid. Like I didn't have this three months ago, but if you start to track back for a Just lot of women, you can the see breadcrumbs. exactly the breadcrumbs, you know, this trail of stress, life triggers. Oh, I ignored that. I just bypassed that. Right. And then you add to it the fact that so many women are skipping meals. Yeah. Let's talk about women for a second. Food journals, lack of self-care, lack of time to just hit the pause button and be without feeling guilty. I mean, some of us may actually hit the pause button, but even when we do, we're sitting there, you know, watching some TV show thinking we should be doing something different. So we're not really hitting the pause button. And so you've got that going on. You've got the lack of nutrition you know, support, that nourishment. We're often, I mean, how many of us are constantly cleansing, detoxing? We're like disappearing to nothing sizes, not replenishing and nourishing. In fact, at one point I wanted to write a book and call it The Nourished Woman. That's what this originally started out as. Right. And my publisher said, that just sounds like you're helping women get fat. No woman's going to want to buy a book about being nourished. Well, once we get through the thyroid (laughs) and the adrenal issue, then we can be nourished. So that'll be your next, you know. And when you think about the thyroid, think about it as the organ in your body. It's butterfly-shaped gland in your throat. And its entire job is to regulate energy. So if you're old enough to remember the oil crisis of the 70s, what we were told to do is turn our thermosets down to 66 when we go to sleep, right? Dress warmer during the day, not burn more fuel. And your thyroid is doing the exact same thing in your body. It's recognizing that you're under an energy crisis. You've been burning out for too long. You're exhausted. You're, you know, at that tipping point. And we hear women say things all the time like, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do this anymore. I'm burnt out. I'm crispy. I'm fried. Us vocalizing these things are symptoms, right? We have to start to recognize our emotional and um, mindset um, behaviors as sometimes symptoms. They're not always physical things. And so your body recognizes that you're in an energy crisis and it's trying to be your friend and turns down the thermostat. And the thermostat is your thyroid. When the thyroid thermostat gets turned down, Everything that is dependent on that fuel starts turning down to your metabolism, your cognitive function, your body's going, you know, if you're still in those fertility years saying, well, she doesn't have enough energy for herself. How can we make enough energy for another person? And your hormones go on the fritz and you become uh, someone who's suddenly finding themselves wondering if they're having a fertility problem. So um, it's really our body's self-protective mechanisms that make that thyroid have a a way of sort of protecting ourselves. And then all the environmental insults too. Lack of nutrition. There are certain nutrients that our thyroid depends on to function. And just 
uh, zinc, selenium, iron, vitamin A, getting adequate carbohydrates and protein so that there's that energy that the body says, oh, we've got fuel to burn. There are lots of different chem uh, signal inputs from our food that tell our thyroid, you can do your work, honey. You can, you can burn some energy today because you've got plenty to spend. Are there classic things that you see in your practice? Symptom-wise? Right. Yes. Fatigue is a big one. Depression. In fact, it's estimated that at least 15% of women who are on an antidepressant actually have an undetected thyroid problem. They don't need the antidepressant. They need their thyroid attended to <sighs> and healed. Hair loss, weight or thinning hair, weight gain. You know, you hear women say this all the time. I'm hardly eating anything. I haven't changed a thing, but I've gained 15 or 30 pounds, sometimes in the past three months. You know, sometimes it creeps up. Right. But often it's a pretty substantial weight gain in a short period of time, feeling cold all the time, sluggish bowels, so constipation. And any one of those symptoms doesn't mean you have a thyroid problem. But when you start to add them together, it's a good time to start getting checked out. If you have really even three of the things that I've said at one time. So let's say you have just some constipation, fatigue, and a little bit of low mood. It's still worth getting checked out because you might be struggling Could be with compromised. That. So what all roads led to here? What mm -hmm. happened? How did you realize, I've got to write this book. I've got to address this issue. This is an epidemic. Yeah, so a number of things. One, and this kind of harkens back to why I went back to medical, back to school to get my MD was this kind of clarion call that something's going on with our environment, something's going on with our diets. This isn't new. We can look, listen back to people who were saying this in the late 60s, early 70s, but it was very fringe information. And now you have women who are saying something's wrong, but the medical profession isn't listening to me. And I felt for the, that mass shift to happen for the medical profession to start saying, we have to listen to women's voices. It was kind of going to take an MD to put it down on paper. So to some extent, what I did was I took the voices of the women that I was working with in my medical practice, that I have a, a million women that I reach a year on my social media, and I hear from them, I'm in direct communication with them, taking what they were saying, and then taking what I knew the answers were, where the dots did connect, where we can look at the root causes, if you will, mm -hmm. of stress, environment, food, our body's ability to do the very functions that it's meant to do. What are the things that we need? For example, our liver needs certain nutrients to detoxify. We're getting 80. And that's not wine. Not necessarily. <laughs> Resveratrol actually is a really important polyphenol. So it can have, I always say, who's in control of it? You or the bottle. If you're in control of it, it's good. a glass of red wine a day isn't necessarily a bad thing if you tolerate it well. Um, so I, I wouldn't diss it. It's Good, good, good red grapes know. in it, yes. <laughs> but there are other ways. You can drink grape juice or eat grapes or get uh, blueberries in your diet and get some of what you need too. But I do think we need to relax and give ourselves permission to have that glass of red wine or the glass of red wine and the dark chocolate and not get so restrictive, which I think is a risk. And I think it adds to the problem, right? If we're restricting and our bodies are in starvation mode, that is another one of those root causes that's, that makes the thyroid and the adrenals say something's wrong here. This person's not nourished. Where are the resources? Are we in a famine? What are we in war? You know, what's going on that the resources aren't here? And how do I get nourished so that my brain can turn off those signals and these parts of my body can work again? So it was really about just getting this message out to not just the women in my practice or the women on Facebook, but the millions of women and also having it written by a woman and by an MD, because I know that those elements can reach women, but also change the tide of what the medical profession is taking seriously. Exactly. So you've got the woo-woo yep. background. the woo-woo. And you can slap that science down on top of it. Yes. And you know what? I, I was out to dinner with a girlfriend one night, and she said um, something about woo-woo. And I said, you know, I, I love words, and I love wordplay. Right. And I realized woo, window of opportunity. There you go. Yes. Yeah. It's an acronym for window of opportunity. So yes, I like to bridge those. And um, I think that there's a tremendous amount of healing that can happen in things that we know and do that have been, the outcomes have been measured, but meditation, time in nature, better sleep, happiness, joy, the glass of red wine that Dumping the martyrdom. Pleasure. Dumping the martyrdom, absolutely. I mean, we are so hard on ourselves. And I am too. I have to catch myself every day and remind myself, I'm good enough. I'm enough. I'm doing enough. And, and rein back that inner voice that always is like, you yeah. know, get back yeah. to work. Yes, get back to work. So let's also talk about adrenal fatigue. Yes. And how that plays into all of this. Yes. 
So in um, technicality, the adrenals don't really get fatigued. What happens is the adrenals are pumping out two, uh, one's a hormone and one's a chemical. The neurotransmitter chemical is called adrenaline. Most of us are familiar with that. It's that feeling we get on the roller coaster or watching the scary movie or the feeling we get when we are home alone and we hear a thump outside and like, you know, your back goes up, your heart starts racing, you hold your breath for a second, you get super hyper alert. And then the other is this hormone cortisol, which is um, a, a life survival protective hormone. You know, the Nobel Prize just this week went to people who were studying circadian I know, rhythm. You, I was so excited that about that. That is really yes, exciting. I was so excited. It's my geek so out So just explain that for yes. a second. So we all have these internal body clocks. And I like to think about it more as an orchestra and a conductor and sheet music. So if you think about this master body clock, it's in a part of your brain called the SCN. It's the suprachiasmatic nucleus, part of the brain. And it is the master body clock. So if you think of that as the conductor of an orchestra, and you think of your adrenals as the musicians in the orchestra, they're two little adrenals are two little tiny glands that sit on top of our kidneys. They're super small, they're like little fatty yellow blobs. And then you think of cortisol as the sheet music. The sheet music is going out to every, literally every organ and almost every cell in your body, telling those cells, telling those organs, what time of day am I supposed to boost this part of my immunity for optimal health because I'm gonna be exposed to people all day long or animals, because these are very primitive mechanisms. And what other parts of my immune system should I turn on at night when she's asleep that can help her brain and her body detoxify, but not be so reactive as she needs to be in the day to keep her immune system responding to viruses and bacteria. It's fascinating. It tells us to basically poop in the morning or in the daytime and not poop while we're sleeping. It tells our liver to That's kick. Good. Yes, it, like these are good <laughs> yeah. things, right? Um, it tells our liver when to activate our gallbladder, our pancreas, literally every cell. What happens is though, most of modern life is completely devoid of connection to this central clock. The central clock is triggered by light and dark, but we're on our computer, right? Our ancestors were going to sleep at basically not too long after it got dark because it took a lot of work to make a fire or make candles and burn candles. It wasn't that, and that's not great light to do anything right. by, right? So we were going to bed, but we don't. We stay on our blue light of our computer until like two seconds before we fall asleep. And then we're on it the minute we wake up in the morning. So I actually feel that so much of modern life in this culture, in the US, because it's very different in other cultures. If you look at Sweden, for example, they have a different um, sort of uh, equation, if you will, of what makes a happy, healthy, productive person. And it has to do with family time. They have like 18 months of maternity leave. You know, they have four day work weeks or six hour work days. There's a different value for what a healthy human being is or what a human being is supposed to be in society. Bhutan apparently has one of the highest global happiness indexes. They value different things than we value. We have some of the lowest health and happiness indexes in the world. And basically each of us is kind of considered a cog in the culture's productivity machine. So I've actually kind of started to see as see self-care as an act of civil disobedience and revolutionary behavior because basically we're saying to our society, no, you can't have my health. You can't have my physical health. You can't have my mental well-being. You can't have the last 20 years of my life where I'm on 15 different medications and in and out of the doctor's office. No, you don't get that. I deserve to take care of myself. And that means I get to hit the pause button. I, I don't have to be producing. I don't have to be raising my hand at work. I'll take on that project. I'll take on that project. And women are the most apt to do that because right. that's the expected role we have. Right? We've been fed this multitasking you know, BS for the past, how long? You know, 25 years. I remember when I was a kid, there was a commercial for a, a perfume called Charlie. And it was the woman who could bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan and never forget, <laughs> let her husband forget yeah, exactly. he's a man. Yeah, yeah remember? <laughs> I wanted my name to be Charlie. Right. I mean, I really wanted my name to be I think, Charlie. I think it I is. Be, <laughs> that like Charlie's angel. Um, I really wanted that, you know, that kind of idea that we could do it all. And we can maybe do it all, but not all at the same time and not keep our health. And do we really even need to do it all? I think that's a big question we need to ask ourselves as a culture, but as women, do we need to have it all 
do we need to or what is it all? all what is it this all? is a reading right. as i'm listening to you i'm also thinking that this all sounds perfect you know we've just got to more self-care more of this whatever i think the the symptom occurs you go to the yeah. doctor and I, I think it requires a pause to actually trace back and get unstuck and figure out what we're doing because we get pretty Absolutely. stuck in our routines and think there is no other way of doing life yes. other than the way yes. we're doing it. And granted, I mean, we it takes a lot to live in this culture. I mean, sometimes right. I'm amazed at how anybody can pay their rent or pay their mortgage and pay their medical insurance. I mean, it costs a lot of money. And some of the countries that have better living quotients also provide their people with health care or provide their people with guaranteed college education. Yeah. So we have a lot of pressures that do keep us pushing and pushing and like kind of like firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. at all times. And it kind of comes back to resilience. As human beings, we have an incredible capacity to do more and do more and do more. And we get along doing that for a long time, but then we get those little symptoms and we ignore them and we keep doing more. And then the symptom becomes a constellation of symptoms and then it becomes a syndrome or a condition until eventually it's diabetes or high blood pressure or serious depression. So I think that we actually have the capacity to do enormous amounts of work. I work really hard. I work a lot of hours. I love what I do and I put a lot into it. I know you do as well. But the answer is in paying attention to those little tiny symptoms as early as we can and recognizing that those are our body telling us it's time to hit the pause button. So a little bit of stress is actually really great for us. Um, We have evolved to actually thrive with small amounts of stress. A small amount of stress stimulates our immune system. It stimulates our cognitive function. It's why a lot of us do better when we procrastinate and then study at the last minute. And that's a natural human behavior. It's when we keep doing it and ignore the signs that our body, and it may be, again, those words that we say. When you're saying you're at your breaking point, your brain is telling you to say that. We're supposed to listen to that and stop. And it might be stopping for 30 minutes. I love this point that you're making right now, that it's um, listening to the little things, Mm -hmm. like right away, because... The other thing about this book that's really important to point out is that it's not just about identifying the problem, mm-hmm. and it's it's also about offering really hands-on tactical solutions yes. and dietary yes. shifts yes. and bringing in things, because the good news is we can heal. We can. One right? of my favorite things that I like to say to my patients, but also talk about in the book, is what if I told you your body has the capacity to heal beyond anything you've ever been led to believe, which is not what we're usually hearing from our doctors. We're hearing, I've got a pill for you. Well, you know, I mean, I've gone to the airport where I've had to travel and I'm at a major airport and you walk up the, you know, you go past security and you're walking to the corridors where, you know, the Starbucks and all that is on the way to the gate. And often these airports are lined with billboards and posters for, you know, save a child with cancer, um, get your health and life insurance, um, give money to this local hospital, um, take this medication because it'll help with your mood or this or that or the other. <laughs> I mean, it's like a sick hallway. And I think that yeah. that is, you, you know, if, I, if I'm traveling and I do pop on a television somewhere, I'm shocked at one commercial after another targeted to whoever that demographic is. So I was somewhere and I was watching a television show and in that 50 minutes of of TV or whatever it was, I think there were five commercials targeted at women, kind of our demographic, maybe 35 to 55, um, mostly white women, but not all. And everyone needed Humira or some other pretty big guns medication for an autoimmune disease. So we get this idea that we're sick and that the answer is a pill. And it misses, first of all, we're being frankly poisoned by a lot of these pharmaceuticals and those aren't the answer they're just they're just suppressing they're just more tools to keep us going and producing and going and producing so it seems like even in your practice it, it, it must require a certain amount of hand holding and nurturing and coaching in a way it does. to really allow a woman to sit down in your office and say okay hold on we've got to unpack a whole story here yes. it's not just about me helping you through this symptom it's really like me helping you re-script your story, your I life. I love how you said that. It's so true. I was right. saying to someone yesterday that I feel like it's there's as much unlearning that we need to do to be healthy as there is learning. We have so many stories. And I love that idea of, 
of really helping women unpack it. And it is what I do. It's exactly what I do. And it's about sometimes just even believing that our bodies can heal. Well, most of us just, I mean, I really wasn't familiar with that notion a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's the most exciting thing. I mean, it, in one way, gives gives us our power back, right? Mm -hmm. But we have to, but then we are accountable. Yes. So there's this great quote from you also where you said, overcoming what so many are calling adrenal fatigue is a radical act of rebellion. It requires us to step outside of the status quo that demands we sacrifice our lives at the altar of high pressure living, the never ending quest for more achievement and acquisition, and instead look within to creating sustainable energy. Sustainability has to come not just in how we care for our world, but how we care for ourselves in the world. Hmm. Yes, that sums up very much um, this idea of being comfortable, being a bit of a health maverick or a health rebel, if you will, and really believing that we have the right to be well and starting to identify in our lives those places where we do feel unwell. And it's not that everybody can just walk away from a job where they have a boss that there's maybe some abuse or discomfort, but... Studies have shown, for example, that women who come home from a stressful day at work but take 15 minutes to unpack their stress, whether it's a dance party or meditation or walking in nature, have completely different cortisol levels when we don't do those things. It's not an all or nothing because I think sometimes when we feel like, oh, I can't get up and make the perfect green smoothie or I can't get the perfect meditation practice down or go for the perfect Pilates class every day, then we just chuck the whole thing, right? It's about like little shifts with big impact, right? Like just what you're saying is like, just start inserting little things. Like, yes, there are realities, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that for me, I have gotten really clear on too, is the power and poison, if you will, of perfectionism Mm -hmm. and all the shoulds that we put on ourselves. So I've seen people drive themselves just as nuts about their I should go to yoga. I should be doing this. And then they feel stressed out. And what they really want to do is kick back, have a glass of red wine and watch Game of Thrones, which may actually be more of a cortisol reset right. sometimes, right? It's not like you have to do it perfectly every day. And one of the things that I've identified in my own life, but also as I was doing the research for this book, kind of blew me away, is how perfectionism for women, all these shoulds, these patterns that we develop, like being a good girl or the martyr that you mentioned earlier or perfectionism are also signs that we're in this kind of survival mode, as I talk about in the book, that somewhere along the line of our life, the trajectory or story arc of our life, we learned that we got rewarded by being a certain way. We got rewarded by being perfect or trying to be perfect. We got rewarded by being the one that didn't complain or the one that made everything funny or whatever it was. And we get stuck in these patterns as adults and they're often harming us. Maybe at some point they helped us to get through, but at some point they can be harming us. And those very patterns can be driving this survival mode and be pushing us so hard. And those patterns can be what get our adrenal stress response very out of whack. So Aviva, do you take a spoonful of your own medicine? I do. I actually really do. I'm very good at, first of all, I'm very committed to not teaching and sharing things that I don't walk my own talk because that's dishonest and it's not fair. If I can't do it, why would I think somebody else can do it? So I really do put into practice everything I share and I, and I try to make sure that what I offer is reasonably realistic. So my doses of my own medicine, I'm very committed to my diet. I eat a healthy Mediterranean style diet. I try to not ever skip meals and I try to really live a balanced life. I'm super committed to turning off electronics before I go to bed. I read every night a real book, not on a Mm -hmm. Kindle or any iPad, but a real book with real pages um, before I go to sleep. And I try to really get to sleep by 11. I tend to wake up around six, no matter what time I go to bed. So if I don't, if I go to bed at, you know, one or two, which every now and then I'm kind of engaged in something, I'm really excited by it. I'll push that because I would be a night owl kind of to some extent. Um, But yeah, I do. I try to get in some yoga, some time in nature. I could probably be better about like intense exercise, um, but that's where I get my hikes in or get on a bike. Yeah, but I really do. And I try to fit in mindfulness in my life. It's not even really fitting it in for me. I mean, I've been doing it so long. It really is a way of life. Once it becomes a way of life, you don't really have to. And you also know when you really need it, right? So that's the other thing. I do. I mean, I really, really listen to my body. Right. So if I have a little, 
you know, pinching feeling in my head and I've been working on the computer for too long. I mean, it rarely would even get to that point, but that would be, okay, hit the pause button, Aviva, go get some water, get off the computer, go for a walk, do something different. Um, I really try to pay attention to that. One other thing I, I, I think I glossed over is uh, that I want you to just talk about is how you set this book up mm-hmm. because you use all my favorite RE words Ooh, like I reboot, do. recharge, <laughs> uh, rescript. Well, I don't know if you used rescript, but what you used all, I reframe. Like that, yes, reframe. So just walk us through a second um, because I think it's so helpful how you set the book up and why you set it up this way. Yes, and that actually brings up an interesting point because when I set the book up, the reframe, the mind-body part was actually before the food part and I really wanted it that way. And it's interesting because uh, my publishing team were adamant that women were gonna wanna get right to the food part. So I compromised, but if it were my perfect world, the reframe would be the first because I feel like as women, especially when we're changing the way we eat, there is a lot of mental baggage around food. And I wanted to make sure that women were coming at the process of the book with an attitude of self-care and self-nourishment. As, 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 uh, as opposed to restriction, exactly. what we were exactly. talking about Exactly. It's earlier. all about nourishing. And another R word that is huge for me is replenishing, right? right? So we push, we push, we push, but just like with our cars, we have to put gas and oil in. We forget that our bodies need gas and oil in the form of food, rest, recreation, pleasure. So in the perfect world, actually, that would be the chapter women read first. But it starts out with food because that's a really low-hanging fruit. There's a tremendous amount we can change by adding in fruits and vegetables, adding in the foods that our bodies need, making sure that we're getting protein at every meal, good quality fats at every meal, things that nourish and sustain our energy, right? You can't have steady energy. If you put bad gas in your car, your car wouldn't work really well. And we wouldn't do that. We put the right octane in our car, but we don't in our body. So it's about learning which foods you need to get replenished and have the energy to do what it needs to, to, you know, to follow the plan in the book even. And then it's about learning which foods may be a trigger for you as a woman individually. So the whole concept is what can you add in that activates your body's innate healing powers? And what can we remove? That's an obstacle, essentially, to your body's innate healing powers. And the book walks you through what those are. So food being the first one, what can we add in for mind-body, whether that's meditation or a hot bath or kicking back and watching a TV show and having a glass of wine, getting out of that perfectionist mode. So what can we add in? And then what can we take out? The actual life stressors that we do have control of. We don't have control over everything, but we can pick our priorities, right? If, if you have a to-do list of 25 things, sometimes our to-do lists are stressing us out more than what actually needs to be done. So how do we start to look at our priorities in life and kind of curate the ones that we really can do and then put the others on the shelf for later? So it's food, then the stress part, And then we look at some things that might not be as obvious stress impacts on the body. What's going on in your gut, for example. We know so much now about the microbiome and there's still so much we don't know. It's such an exciting area, but we know that the health of our microbiome impacts our stress resilience, our weight, our immunity, our moods, our mind, our focus. So then working on the gut, again, what can we add in? lacto-fermented foods, real simple stuff, a probiotic, the nourishment that your gut needs in the form of starches in your vegetables that literally feed healthy microbiome. And what can we take out? Everything from artificial sweeteners that affect gut lining health to too much sugar to maybe for some women that glass of red wine isn't appropriate right now because they have some yeast overgrowth in their gut. So we walk through that. Then we walk through the body's natural detoxification systems. Again, what can we add in to support how your body naturally wants to detoxify? And what can we take out that's adding to that overburden, that evolutionary mismatch between what we can handle and what we were you know, meant to handle biologically and what we're being exposed to? And then finally, we walk through the immune system. Same thing. What does our immune system need to be healthy? And what is impacting our immune system that might be adding too much burden that our body has a harder time keeping up with? So it's a stepwise... 28-day process, and this um, kind of concept of healthy food, nourishing food is woven through it, a kind of a healthy mindset, self-care is woven through it, within some strategic ways that 
you as a reader, you know, if you were to pick up the book, you can do these questionnaires that you may be fine. Yeah, you know, my gut doesn't seem to be as much of a problem, but wow, it looks like I'm having a lot of these detoxification symptoms. So you can simplify it for yourself and get very individualized with it. It's fun. I, I actually had a really good time writing it. And it's pretty much the plan that I walk my patients through in my practice, just made accessible for everyone. Right, which yeah. is fabulous. But again, it's about feeling those, you know, implementing those little shifts. Yes. And feeling impact. Yes. That I mean, then creates this trickle down. And when you start feeling yes. good, you, you want, want to keep more, doing you want more exactly. of it. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. And if there were just a few things that I would say women could change right off, definitely be taking added sugar out of the diet. And I know that just sounds so overwhelming, but what I find is that people think that sugar and sugary foods and quick carbs are giving them energy. But really, if you start to pay attention when you eat them, usually an hour or two later, we're brain foggy, we're tired. We're hungry. We're, we're hungry. We're empty. Right. Yeah. Right. So shifting that, adding in one self-care practice. And I think the biggest um, kind of shift, small self-care practice is a bedtime wind down. So an hour before bed, think of that as this beautiful ritual of getting ready for bed, washing your face, brushing your teeth, maybe taking a hot bath if you have a bathtub or a nice shower with some essential oils, um, doing 10, 15 minutes of stretching, and then getting in, in bed. Lighting a, a candle. Yes, lighting yeah. a candle and getting in bed with a good book. Not something crazy stimulating, but something really nourishing, relaxing, enjoyable, and letting yourself fall asleep naturally. No electronics. That is the hardest thing. I think giving up coffee is easier for people than giving <laughs> exactly. up electronics. Exactly. So there's something uh, that we touched on just a drop before, uh, which was the word legacy. Mm -hmm. And I love this. And I feel that your children and your grandchild. I, I mean, two. Yeah, two. two. Okay, two grand. Yes. So, okay, yeah. I mean, this is amazing. Yes, this gorgeous lady is a grandmother. Yeah. So your next book is about like holistic beauty secrets. Yes, of course, definitely. <laughs> But to go back to this notion of legacy, that how fortunate your children and grandchildren are to have grown up with this conversation oh, and not to you. have found their way around to it uh, like we did. Mm -hmm. Where do you see this conversation going? Where would you like to see this kind of like what's your vision for where this conversation can continue? What are we doing right? Mm -hmm. And what are we doing wrong? What scares you? I think we're doing a lot of things right. I mean, I think as a culture, we're catching on. You know, when you see Walmart going organic, Walmart's really making an effort. And one of the leaders on organics for the mass masses now, that is so encouraging. I mean, it just really makes me excited when we hear about the microbiome, not just on NPR, but on, you know, more traditional Mainstream. news stations. We're starting to catch on. We're getting as I, I see, you know, hashtag woke. We're definitely getting woke about some things. I think what scares me most is that um, we're in a bit of a snowball or a domino effect, right? The domino already got pushed a long time ago. The domino started getting pushed about 20 years ago with the amount of environmental toxins we're exposed to, um, global warming. There are some big crises, antibiotic overuse. That domino effect is already happening. So it's going to take enough of us at a policy level to make big global shifts in some of the bigger crises that really may impact us. You know, I have women come into my practice all the time who have been eating well for the past 15 years. They've been doing yoga, they've been doing meditation, they have a good lifestyle, but they come in with a diagnosis of breast cancer and they have no idea why. And it's all these external exposures that are beyond our control. And I think that's what makes me sad um, is that watching. That is a scary. It is scary. It's really sad and it's really scary. And, you know, I don't mean to be frightening, but it's going to take all of us individually. And one thing I have seen powerfully is the, the power of economics, right? The more of us that are demanding a shift, the more the shift is going to happen. I mean, people aren't suddenly in big pharma and big agra and Walmart going, let's go organic because, you know, we care about the planet. Maybe some of them are, but it's where the money is going, right? We see Amazon buying Whole Foods. There's an incentive. So the more of us that are demanding and expecting self-care time at work. The more women that do take time off when they've had a baby, the more of us that do ask for things like 
meditation breaks or a yoga class at a big corporation, the more of us that are looking for organics and alternatives to conventional medicine. Because one of the big problems, there was a study done this past year looking, um, some researchers caught fish, they caught salmon in Puget Sound, and the salmon had over 80 pharmaceuticals and environmental contaminants in it. So, I mean, we're all getting Prozac, we're all getting benzos, we're all getting opiates, we're all getting hormones all the time. And none of us individually can stop that. But if we really agitate, we really make the changes with our money, and those changes start to be seen in bigger business, there will be policy changes. And we're we're seeing that, but it scares me that there's going to be a lot of suffering for individuals who are already doing this work before those shifts happen, I think. I think that's a scary, but but I'm but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic right. at the shifts that are changing. Well, one of the things that we forgot, I wanted to have your seven books. I have one book here, oh. the most recent, but your seven books because yes. one thing I did want to bring to light was your work with women's health, mm-hmm. but with children's health yes. and vaccines, the vaccine conversation. Mm-hmm. So it all it all rolls in. Um, Absolutely. First of all, I want to thank you for. Having stayed the course on this crazy ass windy road (laughs) your life took you on because it did bridge a conversation. It did create a really rich, dense, um, open openness Mm. where there's space for us to to hear, you know, and and to cull what works for us and to make it okay. That I can I can look here and I can look here and I can listen to my intuition. That was one of the things you also said that this this um, path that you went on was really connecting you yes. to your intuition. And I, I think you're a walking, talking, breathing, connecting the dots inspiration. And I thank you for your your work in the world, your continued mm-hmm. work in the world, and everything to come. I would like to uh, ask you to just read for us from this thyroid Bible. I think a a beautiful way to end this would be if you could just read the dedication of this book for us. Yes, I would love to. Let's see if I need my glasses. Okay, so it says, to all women who have felt unseen and unheard, you are not invisible and you are not alone. To all have been told it's all in your head. It is not. And to all who have felt you've been sleeping for too long, rise and shine. Let's move mountains together. And it's based on a proverb. It's a Chinese proverb that says, when sleeping women wake, mountains move. That's, That's right. what it's Dalai Lama knows that. Yes. You know, again, I just want to thank you for your bravery. Thank you. Your bravery in the world and uh, for following your intuition and for following your heart. Because when you pair the two, that's how we move mountains. Thank you for... Thanks for moving those mountains, sister. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Learn more at bestselfmedia.com.